Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Graham. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my pleasure to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, we're in week two of a two-week uh, mini-series looking at the opening chapters uh, of the book of Acts. Uh, last week, uh, John Hanlon uh, very helpfully reminded us that uh, Acts is the second of a two-volume series written by Luke, who is also the author of the third gospel that carries his name. Uh, and I hope you have that Bible passage uh, that Heather just uh, read for us open in front of you because you will need that because we are going to be looking at parts of Acts that we didn't read out and so it will be helpful uh, to look those up um, as, we, as we go along. Uh, and as we go through today's sermon, you may have questions uh, that come out of the passage that I don't cover uh, or that I do cover but cover so clumsily that I confuse you and you uh, would like some clarity and so I encourage you then to send a text through to the mobile number that's on the screen and uh, we'll have a go at answering those at the end of the sermon. Uh, before I start today's sermon, I want to remind you of what we saw last week from the book of Acts in chapter 1, particularly in verse 8. Uh, John showed us that Acts 1.8 is the key verse for the book of Acts. Uh, the context is Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven to sit at God's right hand as the victor over sin and death. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to, the end of the, uh, and to the end of the earth. The message of the gospel is going to expand. It's going to start where they are in Jerusalem and then move out to the surrounding countryside of Judea and then even into non-Jewish territory, Samaria, and indeed to the end of the earth. What a plan. The whole world is going to hear about what Jesus has done. What a plan. What is God's plan to do it? How will he do it? Well, that verse tells us it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they will have that power. Wow. Now, in chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7, we see Jesus' followers being his witnesses in Jerusalem. But how will God get them out of Jerusalem? We just looked at Acts 1.8. Turn to Acts 8.1. This is really easy to remember. Just reverse the two numbers around. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now, um, in chapter 7, Stephen has made a speech to the Sanhedrin that upsets them so much that they murder him by stoning him to death. And in Acts 1, we read this. And there arose on that day 
a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Look what happened. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the rest were scattered. God is so powerful that he can even use his enemies to do his bidding while they are actively working against him. They persecuted the church and God used that persecution to fulfil the promise of 1.8. What a mighty God we worship, and rightly so. Now, while Acts 1 doesn't tell us exactly how the gospel gets to the end of the earth, we know that that has happened and continues to happen. Is anyone here from New Zealand? Do you know that that's the end of the earth? Well, (laughs) sorry about that. Um, If you drill a hole through Jerusalem all the way through the planet and come out the other side, the closest landmass is New Zealand. I guess that makes us the furthest point from Jerusalem. And as far as I know, the gospel has reached and continues to reach New Zealand. Those of you who were here when uh, Phil's predecessor was with us, Jordan, you know that he's gone to the end of the earth to proclaim the gospel. And we pray for him and wish him well. But back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. How does God give his people the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable them to be his witnesses? The same power that he gives us. Well, that's what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 2. One of my hopes is that when you leave here today, you'll be wanting to read deeply into the book of Acts. Well, before we get into today's sermon, and yes, everything I've set up to now is an intro, uh, let's pray that God will help us understand his word to us and that we might uh, apply it to our lives. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom, enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit, And give us grace to receive your word with reverence and humility, without which no one can understand your truth. Amen. On Thursday, Merrin and I found ourselves at the Pointy J Camp. Who else? Woohoo! What a hoot that was. Uh, I was told by Merrin that we had volunteered to help in the kitchen. Well, I I was fine with that except my culinary expertise is limited to a total of cooking for two people. Not 72. How many were there? How many mouths did we feed? How many? About 70. Plus us, so it was 72. Okay. Um, I must admit, I was somewhat puzzled and bewildered when I walked into that kitchen, but fortunately Jane and Mark Mason were there And they were able to bring clarity to what I had to do, so it actually wasn't too bad. I mean, who was at the Pointy J camp? You, oh, okay, it was more of, you ate well, didn't you? Hey, wasn't the bacon in that uh, Caesar salad on Thursday night, wasn't that cooked really well? (laughs) That was fantastic, wasn't it? Well... In the passage we've just heard read, there was puzzlement and and bewilderment uh, by those who witnessed what happened. But as we'll see, 
Peter was there and he was able to bring some clarity. So in chapter 2, we encounter three things. We encounter puzzlement, clarity, and then the purposes of God's people, the church. And I really wanted three words beginning with the word P, but I just couldn't make that work. So we've got puzzlement, clarity, and purposes. Okay, in verses 1 to 13, we encounter puzzlement. Have a look at those verses again, and I'd like to make some comments as we go through them. Uh, 1 to 13. Uh, When the day of Pentecost arrived... Now, Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. And so that's, what, seven weeks? Seven, seven, 49, 50 days. Pretty close to seven weeks. And at the end of the seven weeks, there was a festival called the Festival of Weeks. And everybody came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. So there were people from all over the place that would come... Uh, Now, I guess some might have stuck around in Jerusalem, having been there from the Passover uh, and then gone home afterwards, Um, perhaps those that came from larger distances, Uh, but but people may have gone and come. Um, And so we read that they were all together in one place. Now, who's the all? The all is the 120 Christians that are mentioned in Acts 1.15. And so, yes, they're all in this one house, not all the houses were small. Uh, it would have been quite a big, big house and uh, they were all, all there. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, rushing, a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So a supernatural event takes place. And then in verse 3 we read, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now fire is a common Um, uh, uh, image in the Bible, uh, often associated with events like this, major events. You remember Moses and the burning bush, there's fire. There's fire uh, by night as the um, uh, Israelites travel through the wilderness. Um, Unusual? Yes. Unheard of? No. And here the Spirit spreads like fire, the idea of of the Spirit spreading like fire. Note the use of the word like, It's trying to describe something that's probably fairly hard to describe. Uh, Verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. More weird stuff. Now, the, the tongues are ordinary languages. We're not talking about the tongues that Paul talks about in Corinthians, for example. This is other understandable languages. Verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember I said that everybody sort of gathered in Jerusalem for the feast, for the festival? Uh, Devout means they believed in God. They went to synagogue, their church. They went every week. They were religious people. But they weren't Christians. And we know they weren't Christians because of what Paul says in verse 38, that they needed to repent and believe. But we'll get to that later. Some of them had moved back from other countries where they had been living to live in Jerusalem. And as I said, others would have been there for visiting for the Festival of the Weeks. And in verse 6, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now, the sound would have been the sound of the languages, not the, the, um, uh, the sound in verse 2. Verses 7 and 8, um, uh, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are all these who are speaking Galileans? Uh, 
And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Now, Galileans would have had trouble pronouncing certain words and phrases. Um, And what we're reading here, these languages, these other languages, is not really a reversal of Babel that we had as our first Bible reading, because there there are still many languages. It's not like the languages have become one. Uh, So it's not a reversal of Babel as such. But like Babel, there is no explanation available other than God is at work. This is a God thing. And I envisage the way it would have worked was we've got 120 Christians all speaking in different languages and I can imagine different huddles of different people from the different places um, and um, uh, and, and the language would have been spoken Uh, that they would have been able to understand. Um, In verses 9 and 10, we have a great list of um, places uh, where these people have come from. Notice at the end of verse uh, verse 10 where where some of them have come from. Where have they come from? Somebody tell me. Rome. They've come from Rome. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if that's how the church in Rome started. These people get converted and go back to Rome and tell their friends of the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if, I don't know, next week we started a sermon series from the book to the Romans? (laughs) Verse 11 and 12. Jews, proselytes, Christians, Arabians, we we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And verse 12, and they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Do you blame them? What does this mean? But you always get scoffers, don't you? Ah, they're drunk. That's the problem. Well, clarity comes along when Paul speaks in verse 14. As you come across the sermons in Acts, it's worth just noting as an aside that the sermons are not transcripts. They're not verbatim of what was said. If I was to read Peter's Pentecost proclamation to you now, I hope you will do... I won't do that now, but if I was to do that, I hope you'll do it later. If I was to do it, it would take about three and a half minutes for me to read. That's a very short sermon. This sermon has gone longer than that already. Now, we know that not everything Peter has said is here, because after, you see, they have a Q&A too. Did you notice that? If you have, when you read it, you'll see there is a Q&A at the end of Peter's sermon. And at the end of the Q&A, um, we're told in verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And so they're not Christians at the time at which he's speaking. So what we're getting in these sermons, this one and all the other ones we read in Acts, we're getting the highlights So let me give you quickly some of the highlights of the highlights. There's a strong theme in this sermon of taking God very, very seriously. And that judgment is there. That's very clear in Peter's sermon. And responding positively to Jesus is the only way to avoid God's righteous judgment. And Peter sets out a clear and compelling gospel presentation of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension, which has just happened. And he summarises it 
in verses 32 to 36. Have a look at them with me. That's the summary. 32, let me find it. Here we go. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. These are the people who saw it happen. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is what's happened. The Holy Spirit has come out. And then in verse 36 he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. He doesn't muck about, does he? He really puts it out there. And what is their response to what they have heard? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Because of what they have done and thought and believed. Well, what's your response when you hear that? You might think, well, I wasn't there. I didn't put Jesus on the cross. You know that song we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? That has that line, It was my sin that held him there. So your sin and my sin is on display here. We put Jesus on the cross. Each one of us. Because if it wasn't for Jesus' death, if it wasn't for our sin, I should say, there would have been no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. There would have been another way. But because of your sin and my sin, Jesus died. Do you hear? Do you need to hear the answer to the question that they asked Peter in verse 39? What should I do? Do you need to repent and believe? Because that is what <coughs> Peter says to them. He says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Do you need to repent and return? Christ. Repentance simply means changing direction. Before I'm a Christian, I'm heading in this direction, away from God. Repentance means I need to turn around and walk towards God. That's what, that's what repentance is. It's a change of direction, a 180 degree turnaround. And can I encourage you, if you've been holding back from doing that, today would be a great day to do that. Perhaps you have done that. Perhaps you have repented of your sins um, and because of that, they've been totally wiped out because of what Jesus has done on the cross and you're following him. Do you need to make a public declaration that you've made that decision? That's what baptism enables you to do, as Jim Packer explained to us in the video earlier. And if you've not been baptised, Phil's organising a baptism class. 
come and meet him over at the basketball hoop afterwards. Not for basketball, but to talk to him about baptism, if that's something that you uh, would like to consider, if you haven't done it. Now, look what happened to the church at the end of this encounter, in verse 41. So all who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Where are you, Phil? What a baptism class that'd be, mate. 2,880. The church grew from 120 to 3,000 that day. So what changed for those 2,880 people who were added to the church that day? Well, that's what verses 42 to 47 are about. The purposes of God's church. Some people refer, and rightly so, to Acts chapter 2 as the birth of the church. This is the beginning of what we have become. So what are the purposes of the church? Uh, you can, we can see that the church was committed to five purposes, and they're the same purposes that we have here at the point. And I hope that doesn't actually surprise you. Firstly, they were a church that were committed to treasure Jesus. Secondly, they were a group of people who belonged to Jesus' church. Thirdly, they were a growing, they were a growing in maturity as a church. They served one another. And finally, they were committed to saving those who hadn't heard about Jesus. So how does this church treasure Jesus? Well, the sermon summaries in Acts are teaching uh, and are the teaching of the apostles. These men were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. They spoke with him in the same way that you and I would speak, face to face. They heard Jesus' sermons firsthand. Now, Paul is the exception to this, um, but he did have a special personal commission from the risen Jesus. We'll talk about it another time. They, but they, they saw his, Jesus' compassion. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him casting out demons. They saw him giving sight to the blind. They even saw him raise the dead. They saw the nail marks in his hands and where the spear had been thrust into his side after they watched him die. And so that they and all who trust in Jesus can be forgiven. And of course they spent 40 days with him between his resurrection and ascension. Do you realise that that's, that's a long... That's six weeks! What a Bible school that would have been! Sitting under the Lord Jesus teaching, the risen Lord Jesus, for nearly six weeks. They were the ones who were teaching the early church. The ordinary followers of Jesus, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I haven't read that, have I? I should read that. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the property sorry, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food 
with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And look what happened. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. So they treasure Jesus being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what do the apostles teach? Well, they taught the oracles of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that church? To hear Peter and John and others speak, to be devoted to their teaching of God's word, to hang off every word of those who met Jesus face to face. How good would it have been to sit under the teaching of those men? Well, guess what? We can. We have it in our Bibles. Right here, right now, we have the apostles' teaching in our own hands, the very oracles of God. That's how we treasure Jesus. We have so many any opportunities to do that, though. Unlike the early church, we have the apostles' teaching available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And because we teach God's word in this church, coming each week is one way of being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Gathering together with Christian friends around his word is another way of being devoted to the apostles' teaching and so treasure Jesus. One of the great privileges Mary and I had on Thursday was when we went to the Pointy J camp and we sat under the teaching that our young people are getting. It was deep, theologically insightful and it was such an encouragement to hear these guys not only taught but watch them listen, if that makes sense. Deep theological truths. It was so exciting to see what's happening in our next-gen ministry. Reading the Bible for ourselves is yet another way to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and to treasure Jesus. Now, how often should we do it? Well, according to verse 46, they did it daily. So perhaps there's a biblical imprimatur for daily Bible reading. First purpose of the church is that its members will treasure Jesus by being devoted to the apostles' teaching. The, the second purpose of the church is that it, the church comprises people who belong to Christ's people and his church. Have a look at verse 45, 44 to 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Their possessions probably meant real estate as well as valuable. These are tricky verses in terms of how should we apply them to our situation. Are we meant to do this? Are we meant to sell our possessions and belongings and give the money so we can build the mission campus? And before the admin committee gets too excited, the answer is no. See, one of the challenges we need to meet when we read the book of Acts in particular is to ask, what is before us? Is it a principle for us to follow or is it the application of a principle? Is it prescriptive or descriptive? Now, Jesus, neither Jesus nor the apostles forbade the ownership of private property. Uh, Jesus certainly pointed out the dangers of it. Uh, and clearly here they didn't sell all their property because we read in the next verse that they met together in the homes. It would be rather hard to do that if they'd sold them, no longer owned them. The issue here is not so much how this particular church in their particular circumstances arranged its finances. The issue is the application of the principle of generosity to meet each other's needs. Notice that in verse 46, they had glad and generous hearts. 
So we need to work out the application of the principle of generosity in our context when it comes to money and finance. Now, not only did they care for each other's physical needs, but they also cared for their spiritual needs so that they would grow in maturity in Christ. That's their and our third purpose. Uh, There's really only one way you can do that effectively is by meeting together. You kind of need to be in the same room, much as we're doing now. Uh, Zoom might help a bit when we can't physically meet uh, or watching the sermon uh, being replayed later, but Zoom's a poor substitute. Uh, The context also suggests that their prayers were done together. I know we can pray for each other when we're apart, but what seems to be happening here is that prayer together is something that's important. So how did they do it? How do we do it? What's the principle? Well, clearly they did it formally and informally. Uh, If you have a look in verse 46, uh, we see they went to the temple every day. Um, They couldn't get enough of uh, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of gathering. But they also did it, as that verse tells us, informally in their homes. Interesting combination. Gathering, formally as a church, and for them at that stage, it seems since they were all Jews, that meant the temple... But the application of the principle for us is church and informally in homes and in our context, that's our midweek point groups and youth youth point groups. Uh, We're about to start a new term and our point groups are about to recommence. If you're not in one, today's a great day to visit the welcome desk and say, look, I'm not in a point group, I need to sort that one out. Today's the perfect day for that. And what do they do when they gather both formally and informally? Well, we see in these verses they served each other. They broke bread. Not only did they eat together, but they fellowshiped together. They prayed together. And as we read in these verses, praised God and shared everything together. They were a community. They distributed to all who had need, so they cared for one another. See, their church and our church is not a holy huddle. It's not a religious club. It's evangelistic in nature. And the way they went about doing stuff It was in a way that people could hear about the saving work of Jesus. And their church grew, as we see at the end of that, day by day. Their numbers increased. And so the fifth purpose, theirs and ours, is to see people saved. But while they did that work, verse 47 reminds us that it's all the work of Jesus himself. How did the church grow? Jesus did it. He's the one who added to their number. But how did he do it? Well, many things that God does, he does in the world. He does by the people he has made. In the Old Testament, to warn Egypt of the coming famine and to prepare for it, he sends Joseph to Egypt, Genesis 37, years before that to prepare them. When God wanted the Roman centurion Cornelius to hear the gospel in Acts chapter 10, he gets an angel to go to tell Peter to go to Caesarea to tell him, the angel doesn't tell him the gospel, the angel tells Peter to go and tell him the gospel. Human beings have a unique function in creation and it's to tell people of the saving work of Jesus on the cross. I'm so pleased that here at the point, our five purposes of treasure, belong, grow, serve and save are deeply rooted in scripture, as indeed they should be. Do you remember the devout people back in verse 5? They were part of the religious community, 
but they weren't followers of Jesus. And that's a danger today. My dad said he was a God-fearer, but I don't know that he was Christian. Many people believe in Jesus to the extent that he lived, died and even rose again from the dead, but have not come to him for forgiveness of their rebellion against God's rule. And if you've been checking out Jesus, you've picked the right place to be today. But maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. But you're just part of the religious community and haven't actually taken that step of being in Jesus' community. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And if you've repented, have you declared it publicly? Baptism is an appropriate response to that. And if you've repented and been baptised, how are you going in your faith journey? How are you going in participating of each of the five purposes that members of the church community need to be involved in? I'd love to say more, but I've run out of time, so I'll pray and we'll see if there are any questions. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your invention, the church. Thank you that it is you who calls us together. Thank you for the apostles' teaching, that we have it in our own language and available all the time. Thank you that Jesus died so that we can have our sins forgiven. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's been putting off coming to you, that today they'll come, repent and be forgiven. Help us to treasure Jesus as we belong to his church. May we grow in Christian maturity as we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may you be pleased to use us to see many people saved. All for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon. Or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tp.cc.com dot org dot au